Well, I hope you'll take your Bibles and open to Mark chapter 5. Mark 5. This morning we're going to consider two stories, two stories, you heard that right, from Mark chapter 5. And here's my hope, here's my prayer for us as a church as we consider this portion of Mark chapter 5. My prayer for us this morning, my prayer for you this week, has been that God would strengthen and increase our faith and trust in him. We're going to see Jesus again today as we we do each week in the Gospels. We're going to see Jesus, his power, his compassion, his mercy. And I've been praying that God would use this vision of Jesus that we're going to see as he interacts with people. That God would use this vision of him to increase your faith. Maybe you've come in this morning and you feel weak in faith. Pray that God will use his word to increase your faith. Maybe this week you have struggled to trust God. I think this portion of Mark chapter 5 should increase our ability to trust him with every part of our lives. I wonder sometimes if you come in with expectations on Sunday mornings. We are creatures of habit, and we could be here because this is where we come. We log in online because it's Sunday morning. I don't know what your expectations are this morning, but here's my hope, here's my expectation, here's my prayer that God would strengthen us. And that because of the time we spend in his word this morning, we would trust him more. With that said, let's go to, the, go to the scriptures. And as I read, I've already mentioned this, we're going to read two stories. But notice as we read how they work together. They parallel one another. And while they're two stories of two different situations, they really are the same story about one God who is faithful and in whom we can trust. So Mark chapter 5. We're going to read verses 21 through 43. Hear the word of God. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at Jesus' feet and implored earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come, lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And Jesus went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, who had suffered much under many physicians, and who had spent all that she had and was no better, but instead grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? His disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing in around you, and yet you say, who touched me? He looked around to see who had done it. The woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And Jesus said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. 
while he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when they entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. They laughed at him, but he put them outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went into where the child was. And taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement and he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. May God bless the reading and preaching of his word. Well, this morning we're going to continue seeing something that we started seeing two weeks ago. We're in a section of Mark where we're seeing over and over the, the power of Jesus on display. We're seeing this, that there is no denying that Jesus is God. So we're in this series of stories. Remember, we were in a series of parables, and now we've been in this series of stories about the power of God. It started at the end of chapter 4 with the calming of the storm. There we saw Jesus' power over nature, that he speaks, and even the wind and the sea obey him. That was two weeks ago. Then, then last week, we saw the power of Jesus over demons as he rescued a man who had been possessed by thousands of demons. Remember that story that sends the demons into the pigs? Once again, Jesus did what was impossible for anyone to do. The disciples couldn't calm the storm, but Jesus spoke and it happened. And this whole community could not tame this man possessed by demons. But when Jesus arrived, the demons had to submit to him. This morning, we get two more instances in which Jesus does what seems impossible. Two more displays of his power. We've already read the story. We see his power over disease, healing a woman from something who otherwise was incurable, and his power over death, raising a girl from the dead. I just want to start with this. I just want you to, to see this bigger picture, this repetition that, that, that we're seeing a repetition that occurred over just a couple of days in the life and ministry of Jesus, and this repetition that the Holy Spirit inspired and Mark wrote down for us. The power of Jesus coming over nature, over demons, over disease, over death. Jesus is God, and hear that loud and clear. Mark is proclaiming that in this part of the passage. He is sovereign over nature. He is sovereign over demons. He is sovereign over disease. He is sovereign over death. See Jesus first and primarily. I was thinking as I was considering just this reoccurring theme, how often we come to the scriptures, looking first for how we fit into the story. We're all guilty, aren't we? We go to the Bible and we want to see what he says about us. We're looking for ourselves. How does this help me? 
But don't miss that this passage is primarily about Jesus. Oh, in church, that's helpful for us. We must see Jesus. We must see that he is the one of power. He is God. So we've been given these accounts, inspired by the Spirit, written by Mark, so that we can see Jesus. Jesus is revealing who he is, right? He revealed it to his disciples on the sea. He revealed it to this community with this demon-possessed man. He's revealing it through this woman and then through this little girl's raising. I want to put that out front. Remember this. This passage is about Jesus. Subpoint. This passage is about how people respond to the power of Jesus. Do you remember how the disciples responded when they saw the power of Jesus displayed on the sea? With fear. That's why Jesus said in chapter 4, verse 40, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Which starts this series of stories about the power of God and the need for faith. We saw the disciples, instead of responding in faith, they responded in fear. And that's the same thing that happened when Jesus cast out the demons. He cast the demon out of this man. Do you remember how the community responded to this act of power from Jesus? They begged him, leave. They weren't comfortable with this one who could speak and command demons. So in these first two instances, we see the power of Jesus and we see responses that don't include faith. The disciples were afraid. The community was afraid. Jesus was seen, but they did not trust him. Well, this morning we arrive at two more accounts, but this time the displays of Christ's power are prompted by expressions of faith. As we ended last week, we saw this community of people who had seen an incredible miracle, but were fearful of Jesus and begged that he leave. Remember, he had crossed the Sea of Galilee, went from west to east, landed on the shore, and was only there for maybe a few hours. He, he healed this man, or he cast out the demons. The people begged him to leave, and so back in the boat they go, and back across the Sea of Galilee they sail, landing back on the western shore, most likely in Capernaum. And that's where the two events of our passage this morning are found. Two more displays of the power of Jesus, and both of these prompted by faith. And specifically of faith of people who are in desperate situations. I've said it several times, two different stories, two different accounts, but they're, they're intertwined. And we could very easily spend two weeks, one week looking at the woman with the discharge of blood and another week looking at the, the girl raised from the dead and her father Jairus. But I, said, I decided that instead of breaking these apart, instead of looking at them two different weeks, we would just spend two hours this morning just working through every detail of these verses. We'll just, you know, we want to be good stewards of our time. No, it won't be two hours. You laugh. One time I'm going to say it, I'm going to be serious. We're going to be laughing. I'm like, no, I'm serious. <laughs> There's enough here for two sermons, but I think these, they're, they're meant to go together. I want to help you see how they parallel one another. And really, it's two stories with one theme, two stories with one message. So I'll only try to preach one message. 
Did you notice some of the parallels that we read? First, there's two dire situations, two people in desperation. In one, we have a lady who's been sick for how long? For 12 years. In the other, we have a girl who's how old? 12 years old. We see this parallel, right? That these stories go together. It's wild to think that these things happened on the same day, that 12 years earlier, this lady had become sick. And 12 years earlier, this girl had been born. And now here they are, 12 years later, in desperate need. In both accounts, we have examples of faith, people who sought out Jesus, believing that he could help. In each of them, we have Jesus showing compassion, being willing to touch someone who's unclean. In both accounts, we see the compassion and power of Christ. There's more things we'll point out as we go, but the point is that these are meant to go together. They work together to help us see Jesus first, and then to help us trust him second. You notice your your notes are blank there. If you want two points, there's your two points. We see the power of Jesus, and we trust him. We see here the willingness of Jesus to help people in desperate situations. Let's consider the situations a little more carefully. What does Mark tell us? We're introduced first to this man named Jairus. I checked my audio Bible app just to make sure that I was saying it right. Checked a second one. Seems to be we're all on the same page. This is Jairus, who we're told is a ruler of the synagogue. Everyone thinks, oh, pastors, they just know how to pronounce things. No, I go to my audio Bible, and I see how other people said it. Jairus is a ruler of the synagogue. He's entrusted with organizing, overseeing the ministry of the synagogue. So it's an important job. Most likely, he is a highly respected man in his community. With that said, just a reminder, in case you need this reminder, here's your parentheses, a reminder that when it comes to living in a fallen world and feeling the impact of living in a fallen world, no one is exempt. You can be the ruler of the synagogue, a godly person, well-respected by your community, living by the law, serving people, honoring God, and your daughter may die. We see tragedy strikes in this man's life. His 12-year-old little girl is sick, really sick, sick to the point of death. If you're a parent, you probably don't want to, but you could probably imagine how devastating that would be. I think about how helpless I feel just when our, our boys have a fever, and there's only so much we can do. We've got the benefit of Tylenol, but after that, we just have to wait, right? And here's this man without the benefits of modern medicine, watching his daughter die and all he can do is wait. Except there is this man, this man who had come to the synagogue, maybe the same synagogue that Jairus helped to lead. This man who had spoken, spoken a way that no one had ever heard before. Remember that day in the synagogue, the the demon-possessed man and Jesus cast out the demons and then The next day, people were coming to the house of Peter and Jesus was healing all their diseases. Jairus knew about this. We're told that he goes to Jesus. He goes to Jesus 
trusting, believing, he has faith that Jesus could change the situation. So he goes. And we may think that this costs him nothing. But let's just think about who Jairus is. He's a ruler in the synagogue. Who are his friends? Probably the scribes and the Pharisees. We've already seen up to this point in Mark that they do not think highly of Jesus. It's interesting to consider that he, Jairus, may know as he goes he's going to take heat for associating with Jesus. Maybe just a small reminder that sometimes showing faith costs us something. People may look at us sideways for our trust in God, our faith in him. Here's Jairus who may have lost some social clout for going to Jesus, but he was a man in a desperate situation. And when he finds Jesus, he doesn't come to Jesus standing up straight, appealing on his rank as the ruler of the synagogue. No, he comes in desperation. We see in verse 22, Jairus fell at the feet of Jesus and implored him earnestly saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. We see how dire the situation is. Here's a man, respected, an upstanding, respectable person, laying on the ground in front of Jesus. What's he doing? He is begging. He is pleading at the feet of Jesus. We can hear the love of a father as he refers to his little girl. My little girl is sick. We see the seriousness of the situation as he tells Jesus that she is at the point of death, which is... In the original language, this word eschaton, for those of you who know theology, we think of eschatology, the study of last things. He says she is eschaton. She's at the end. We've come to the last things. We see his desperation, but we also see his faith. Do you notice what he says to Jesus? Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. Not can you. Come. Touch her and she will be made well. What we see is a cry of faith. He's heard the power of Jesus and he believes that if Jesus comes, things can be changed. He believes that Jesus has the power to heal. He has seen it in the lives of other people. He knows it can happen. He goes to Jesus. He begs him, come, because if you come, I know you can. He's pleading with Jesus. You see how simply Mark records the response of Christ? Verse 24, he went with him. We'll talk about this more later, but in these stories, we see not only the power of Jesus, but the compassion of Jesus, his love and his concern for hurting people. We should stand in awe of the one who speaks in the wind and see obey him, and who speaks and demons flee, and who speaks and diseases disappear. But don't overlook the compassionate Christ who goes with this man. Can you think, just try to put yourself in this man's shoes. His daughter's dying. He probably does not want to leave her side, but he knows that if there's any chance, he has to get to Jesus. And he didn't have just like find Jesus app, right? He had to go and find where he was. 
right? He's searching around town and then he finds it, but there's a crowd around him. He finally gets through the crowd. He falls at Jesus, not knowing what Jesus will say or do. And then Jesus says, I'll go. It's not over, but we're moving in the right direction, right? Things are going the right way. Do you think this guy wanted to run? I think he took off running and turned around. Jesus was just walking. He's like, come on, let's go. Thank you. Now let's get going. We see they don't make it very far before Jesus stops. Remember, there's crowds all around them. They're making their way through the crowd. Jairus is anticipating this may be exactly what I need. My daughter may be saved. Jesus is coming. I didn't know if he would come, but he's coming. And then Jesus stops. He looks around. Did somebody touch me? Jairus is like, probably, right? Let's go. The story gets interrupted. This is where we're introduced to the second desperate situation. I talked about the parallels between these two stories. They're very similar. People in dire situations, people who both know that without Jesus, they have no hope. There are similarities, but there are also differences. These are very different people. When Mark introduces us to Jairus, we're told his name, which is uncommon in Mark. We're usually not given many people's names, but we're told his name and his position. But now we're simply introduced to a woman. Not identified by her name, not identified by her position, but only identified by her disease. And while Jairus was well-known and important in the community, we're going to learn that this woman is most likely living as an outcast. And the reason I want to point this out is simply to say that no one is exempt from the trials and difficulties of life. And at the same time, Jesus responds to both the same. Right? It's good news. He shows compassion on Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue. But not only that, if we just heard that he showed favor on the ruler of the synagogue, that's great. But what about the poor? Jesus honors the faith of both. Mark goes on to describe the situation of this woman in verse 25. There was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, who had suffered much, listen to the words, had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. Just unpack that a little bit. We don't know her name, but we learn quite a bit. First, we learn that she is physically ravaged. It's a condition of discharge of blood, most likely a menstrual hemorrhage. And it's something that's not necessarily uncommon, but usually it's a one-time event. What we see here is that she didn't bleed for a day. She didn't bleed for 365 days. She was bleeding for 365 days times 12. 12 years. And you can only imagine the toll that would take on her body. After 12 years of suffering in this way, no doubt she had to be frail. Don't picture a strong, healthy woman. Picture a frail, weak, pale woman. And not only is she broken because of the illness itself, but she's broken because of the treatment she's received. Verse 25, she had suffered much under many physicians. 
And this isn't saying she was suffering and she had a lot of doctors. It's telling us because of what the doctors did, her suffering was increased. Have you ever watched someone go through cancer? You know, sometimes the treatments, the symptoms from the treatments are worse than the suffering caused by the cancer. Seems like that's what Mark's describing here. The doctors have been trying everything, but the, the things they're doing aren't helping. They're only making it worse. Her suffering is increased by the doctors, not purposefully. She's gone to all these doctors, but to no avail. And not only that, but have you ever been to a doctor? Even back then, was it free? Says that she has spent everything she has. She's sick. She's going to all these doctors who are only making it worse, and she has to pay them. She's spent everything she has pursuing healing. She's done everything she can. She's physically ravaged, financially ruined. And that's not to say anything about her social rejection. That's not said explicitly here, but this is what we know based on this time. Remember Jewish culture and this idea of clean and unclean? And people were constantly going back and forth between these positions of being clean or unclean. So, for example, if you touch something that was dead, which had to happen sometimes, an animal or maybe a person, you touch someone who's dead, then you're ritually unclean, which means you have to go through a period of purification. And during that period, you can't touch anyone, you can't go to the temple, so you can't go to church and you can't be touching people. And, and you have to let people know, I, I'm unclean. Right? Don't, don't come near. And this was common. For instance, every woman went through it at least once a month as long as they were um, on their cycle. So anytime a woman went through um, their menstrual cycle, they were unclean for seven days afterwards. So this was a regular part of life. However, she never stopped bleeding, which made her perpetually unclean. Not only was she sick, not only was she physically ravaged and financially ruined, but she was cut off. For 12 years, she could not go to the temple. For 12 years, she could not be touched by someone without making them unclean. It's a description of a lonely, broken woman. No doubt ashamed, cut off. Why do we go to such great lengths to describe her situation? I want you to be very aware this morning that the Bible does not ignore human suffering. God does not ignore it. He's not blind to it. We all go through periods of suffering and it's so easy for all of us in our moment of suffering to feel like we are unique. No one has ever suffered like me. And can I tell you, look at this woman. Your suffering may be different, but the Bible is clear that suffering comes. Suffering is a part of living in a fallen world. What is the response to suffering? We see a right response from this lady, and that is trust in God. A God who's compassionate. A God who's faithful. This woman's life is an example of the depth of suffering, but also an example of what it looks like to go to Jesus in faith. We see in verse 27, her action, what she did. It says she heard, she came, she touched. She had heard the reports about Jesus. 
So she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I even touch his garments, I will be made well. There's lots of things we could talk about here. And if you read about this passage, you're going to read a lot about how she's moving through a crowd unclean, maybe not even considering how many people she's touching. This was not something she was supposed to do. And to touch this prophet, this teacher, knowing that when she touched them, she'll make him unclean. There's also this idea of superstition. That it was very commonly believed at this time that someone who had power, even their clothes, could take on their power. So she's, there's a mixture here, not only of faith in Jesus, but of superstition and this, all these things coming together. She doesn't have necessarily perfect theology. She does have faith. She goes to Jesus. She's heard of his power. She goes to him and she touches him. And we see the genuineness of her faith and the compassion and power of Christ in the result. Verse 29, immediately the flow of blood dried up. She felt it. She could feel in her body that she was healed of her disease. A feeling that she hadn't experienced in a long time, a feeling that she probably did not remember. I feel right. Mark uses this word immediately. It's a word he likes. It's a word he uses a lot. We could go back and read back through these first five chapters and remember how immediately the leper was cleansed. Immediately the paralyzed man got up and walked. Immediately the wind and waves were calm. And immediately the flow of blood dried up. The power of Jesus, right? That in a minute he can change everything. Who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Who is this that even demons submit to him? Who is this that a woman could simply touch him and be healed? What did I tell you the main thing we should see in this passage is? The power of Jesus. The power of Jesus. He's the one who can be trusted. He is the one we sang first this morning who is able. You're not able. We're not able, but he is able. See the display of the power of God. It's emphasized in verse 30. It says, Jesus, perceiving in himself the power that had gone out from him, immediately he turned to the crowd saying, who touched my garments? Disciples are sarcastic. I mean, who touched you? We're in a crowd. People are going to touch you. He looked around to see who had done it. Some have suggested this is Jesus. What happened? I don't think that's the point at all. Jesus knows what has happened. He knows who it has happened to. But Jesus stops. He wants people to see what has happened. He wants people to know what has happened. And he wants to let them know how it has happened. It has happened through faith. Right? This woman could have touched and left and been healed. But Jesus stops. He wants everyone to know. Everyone to see his power. And everyone to see what it looks like to trust him. Both those things have happened. And he stops and he makes it known. He asks, who touched him? And the, G- the disciples answer sarcastically. The woman knows, she knows that she can't hide. She comes trembling and falls down before him. She tells what she had done. She's trembling and probably for lots of reasons. 
Perhaps she fears a rebuke. After all, she was unclean and she had touched this man. Maybe she was fearful that she would be rebuked for interrupting his mission. Maybe she's just trembling because she's in awe of the power of God. Probably a mixture of all these. We're told that he tells her, she tells him the truth. I touched you. I came because I was unclean, because I had this discharge of blood, and I believed that if I touched you, I would be healed. I think Jesus starts, stops in part so that he can hear and so that everyone can hear this lady's confession. I believed, right? I believed that if I could just touch you. What does Jesus say? Verse 34, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Be healed of your disease. I already said this could be two sermons. This could be the third one. Just this first right here. Faith made well. Go in peace. Be healed. How was she healed? By the power of God. But the reason Jesus says is the reason she experienced the power of God was because of her faith. Does faith heal? God heals. Faith is the way in which we experience the power of God. God heals, God saves. What are we called to do? We are called to trust him. Again, contrast this with the way the disciples responded to the power of God. They were afraid. And Jesus said, have you still no faith? You doubted me. You should have faith, not fear. Now here's this lady who, for all her fear, still had faith. And her faith has made her well. A few things I do want to point out about this response of Jesus. First, don't miss the way he addresses her. Mark called her a woman. That's fine. Jesus calls her daughter. It's a term of intimacy, of inclusion. Think about all the things that she had been called. She had been known by her disease. She had been known by her status of unclean. She had been known as someone who should be avoided. But now Jesus speaks to her with the title of inclusion and intimacy. And he refers to her as one who is part of the family. I have to think this is a picture, a subtle reminder to us of how God responds to those who come to him in faith. On our own, we are people ravaged by the disease of sin. We are unclean. We are separated from God and unable to approach him. But the Bible tells us that anyone who comes in faith, who repents and believes will be saved. And when we're saved, we are granted what? Adoption into the family of God. He calls us sons and daughters. Through faith, we experience the power of healing, the power of salvation, and the result of salvation is family of God. So we can cry out to him, Abba, Father. He calls this woman daughter, and then he uses another word that deserves our attention. He says, your faith has made you well. And this word well is a word that usually is not used in the New Testament to describe physical healing. It's used most often to describe salvation. Forgiveness of sin. 
Jesus is saying more than your blood issue is gone. Her faith has brought her into right standing with God. Your faith has made you well. He says later you were healed of your disease. First, he says, you're well. And because you're well, go in peace. If you've been with someone, we've talked a lot about peace. The peace of God. It's what we're given through faith in Christ. Adoption in the family of God. Peace with God. Peace with one another. Vertical peace, horizontal peace, inner peace. Go in peace. You can go and be with people now. You've been cut off from people. You are now clean. Go and be with your family. You're right with God. Sleep well. Go in peace. Mark is helping us see the power of God, but also the availability of the power of God to those who come in faith. And that truth is driven home as we go back to the other story. All right, so our minds have been fixed for a bit on this woman, but don't forget Jairus in the background pacing. Remember, we were going to my house, remember? Why, why did you stop? And yes, he's watching and he sees a woman healed. That's, that's great, but we gotta go. We're told that while Jesus is still speaking, people arrive from Jairus' house to inform him that his daughter has died. Verse 35, while Jesus is still speaking, there came from the ruler's house someone who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? It's over. There's, there's nothing more to do. Just, just come home. Just don't bother him anymore. Your wife needs you. Let's, let's just go home. I wonder if you ever feel like the situation is over. You've decided, I'm not going to bother Jesus anymore. It's too late. I appreciated what R.C. Sproul said at this point in his sermon on this passage. He said, why trouble God now? At such times, we must remember that we should never stop troubling the Lord. Because it is never of any trouble for him to hear us cry and to wipe our tears. No doubt these people are well-meaning right? It's time to go home. They're telling this man the worst news he's ever heard. They're trying to comfort him. But Jesus turns to him and reminds him of the necessity of faith. He's barely finished commending this woman's faith before he turns to Jairus and tells him, I've overheard what they're saying. I've overheard it. They're telling you she's dead. Here's what you need to hear from me. Do not fear, only believe. Do not fear, only believe. It's the title I put on this message, and it's the phrase I hope you leave with ringing in your head. Whatever the situation is, do not fear, believe. Does that mean there's not things to be afraid of? No. Jairus had plenty to fear. But the call of God is to trust him, to have faith in him. Jesus knows that the news of his daughter's death could send him into a tailspin. And think about the roller coaster of faith he's had. He believed Jesus could help, so he goes to Jesus, and then Jesus says, I'll go. And so, yes, we're heading in the right direction, but then it stops. Have you been there? 
I'm going to trust in Jesus. And for a moment, it seems like he's answering and things are moving in the right direction. And we're like Jairus, we're eagerly returning home with Jesus. And then Jesus stops. Things get worse again. What's the temptation? When it seems like Jesus stops, the temptation is fear, doubt, frustration, anger, worry, anxiety, depression. I should have known it was too good to be true. But don't miss what she says. Charis, don't fear. Believe. It's a constant theme in the scriptures. You can trust God. No matter what the situation, he can be trusted. We don't have to live in fear. He can be trusted. I lift my eyes to the hill. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. The one who keeps you does not slumber. The God of Israel does not sleep or slumber. He will keep your feet from stumbling. He will be the shade on your right hand. The sun will not strike you by day and the moon will not strike you by night. The Lord is your keeper. Do not fear. Believe. This phrase, do not fear, only believe, is in the present tense in the original language. It means it could be translated as keep on believing. He believed, right? He came to Jesus. Now Jesus tells him, don't stop believing, to quote Journey. You can sing that the rest of the day, okay? Don't stop. Keep on believing. I think of the words of Paul. Don't grow weary in doing what is good. Keep trusting. God can be trusted. They continue on the house, and Jesus doesn't let the crowd follow anymore. I love this. He has authority over the crowd. You stay here. We're going on. James, Peter, and John go with him, along with Jairus, and they get to the house. And when they arrive at the house, there's quite a scene. People in the yard, around the house, weeping and crying and wailing, which is partly probably family and friends. But during this time, it was also customary to hire professional mourners. You need a job? Post your ad. You can be a professional mourner, okay? Here's your job. When someone dies, you show up, and you let everyone in the neighborhood know that this house is mourning. So you stand outside, and you cry, and you weep, and there's instruments played in minor keys. This is a house of mourning. And by the time Jesus and Jairus show up, it's all happening. And you can imagine the emotion that would come to this man as he walks into his yard and reality is setting in. This is real. The mourners are here. She's gone. What does Jesus say in verse 39? He says to them, why are you making a commotion? Weeping, the child is not dead, but sleeping. Now Jesus is not denying that she has died. She has died, she is not merely in a coma. But he uses a word that is used throughout the New Testament to describe death. That death for those who believe is not permanent, but death is only our awaiting final resurrection. So we think of 1 Corinthians 15. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, we shall not all die, but we will all be changed in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye. At the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. 1 Thessalonians 4, 
We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, those who have died, that you may not grieve as others who do not have hope. What's Jesus telling him? Don't grieve as those who don't have hope. She is not dead. She is just awaiting resurrection. The child is not dead but sleeping. Jesus knows resurrection is coming. The crowd doesn't understand. The mourners turn to mockers. They laugh at him, but that's no bother to him. He sends everyone outside except for his disciples. Jesus, the three disciples, mom and dad go into the room where the girl is laid. And what does Jesus do? He touches that which is unclean. He takes her by the hands and he says to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. What's going on here? The New Testament is written in Greek, okay? Jesus spoke Aramaic. Usually the, the writers just wrote it in Greek because that was the common written language of the time. But a few times in Mark, a couple times in the gospel, but four times I think in Mark, Mark records not only what Jesus said, but how he said it. Peter's likely the witness, and he remembers exactly what Jesus said and how it sounded. This is what Jesus said, his actual words, the way he said it. Talitha kum, which means little girl or literally little lamb, arise. Arise, it's a word used in the New Testament for resurrection. We can go to 1 Corinthians 15 again. This word is used throughout. If the dead are not raised, kum, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Then also all those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by man came death, by man has come resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. She was not dead. She was asleep, Jesus said. And then he said to her, words of resurrection arise. In church, one day we will all hear the words of resurrection. As God says to all of his saints through all time who have gone to sleep, arise. But this is more than just a spiritual picture. This was an actual girl who was actually dead, who Jesus actually touched and actually brought back to life. Verse 42 is anticlimactic because you, you can't paint this picture. The girl gets up and begins walking. We're told she's 12 years old. And everyone who saw it was immediately overcome with amazement. We're almost done, but... Just consider again the parallels between these two stories. Immediately, the flow of blood dried up. Immediately, the girl got up and began walking. The power of Jesus on display. Power over the storm, power over demons, power over disease, power even over death. He has power over every situation of your life, and if your life, when your life ends in death, he has power over that too. And salvation comes to all those who believe in him comes to those who have faith. 
I'll let you unpack verse 43 on your own this afternoon. He charged them that no one should know this. He told them to give her something to eat. We see the compassion of Jesus. We see the humanity. We see a phrase that we've seen several times after the miracles of Jesus, probably so that he's not mobbed by the people when he leaves. So many details in both these stories. We could spend a lot more time teasing them out, but let me end by just touching on a couple of the parallels and big ideas as we close. In both these stories, we have people in desperate situations. In both of them, we have people who show faith in the power of Jesus. They believe that Jesus could heal. They believe that Jesus could save. They come from different walks of life. Very different people in many ways, but they had a common faith in Christ. And their faith is an example for us. God has given us these stories to increase our faith, to be reminded that he is able, and to be reminded that he can be trusted. I also want you to see in this passage especially the willingness of Jesus, his compassion. The power he has doesn't help us if it can't be accessed, if he withholds it. What we see is that he gives power, he shows compassion freely on those who believe. One more thing to consider as we close, that in both these stories we have people who are unclean. This woman was not supposed to be touched. The dead body was considered unclean, not to be touched. We see here is Jesus is willing to touch those who are unclean. Not only that, his touch makes them clean. Again, a picture of the gospel. The perfect Lamb of God came into a sin-cursed world and remained unstained. He lived and was tempted as we are, yet without sin. And then he did the ultimate association with sin. He went to the cross and he took on our sin and died on our behalf. He rose from the dead, conquering sin and death. And now all who come to him in faith will be made clean. We will be healed of the disease of sin. We'll be given the hope of kumi, resurrection. So we're called to come to him in faith, to trust him, to trust his power, to trust that he can save. I started this morning. I told you, here's what I pray for you, and I hope this is your prayer even now. That you will behold Jesus and that you will trust him more. And I hope that this time we've spent in Mark 5 this morning has moved us in that direction of increased faith and greater trust. To use the words of Christ, do not fear. Only believe.